The engines were at full power and the aircraft climbed up to about 100, 110 feet off the ground and then we weren't climbing anymore. Very quickly knew that I was likely going to die. I was looking down at a airplane that had crashed. Right then, it hit me. I'm not my body. There's my body, but here's me. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Man, I am so glad to be with you the week after Easter. Usually, uh, this was when everybody takes off church because you came to church for, the, you know, for your once a year, you knocked it out, and so you usually have the youth pastor preach the following week. But special treat for you. Here I am. I'm so excited to be with you, and I'm really excited about this series as we talk about what's after, and you're like, what's after what? What's after life, okay? And that's where we're going this morning. You're going to have questions, okay? And I got some really great questions this morning from First Service that we're going to talk about on Pastor Plex Podcast. Make sure uh, that you check us out. I probably need to put this in black on this. Where's Melanie? Help me out. Uh, anyway, so this number right here, which actually is this number right here, uh, go ahead and text us in. We talk about faith, culture, and everything in between, and we'll be talking about what's after uh, for the next several weeks. I'm really pumped for that, so make sure you give us some good fodder for questions. Now, why we, you know, I was actually thinking, you know, the, my sermon prep team, which consists of uh, Pastor Joseph and Pastor James and uh, Gra- Pastor Grayson, we, we were sitting around thinking about what are we going to talk about after Easter? What would be like a thing that would draw people back to come? And we're like, everyone's like, death. Everybody wants to talk about death. I'm like, oh, wow, really? You think so? So uh, we're going to talk about it. Uh, and uh, the reason I have, I have a lot of experience in this area, which is sort of bizarre. I, as you guys know, I've been to combat and was a company commander in Iraq. And so death and like life and uh, body bags was like a normal thing. Picking up the enemy, picking up my own men. That's hard. And then uh, my own father passed away about nine years ago, and uh, that was really hard, just sort of staring down at, at his body. And I just, there was this kind of thought came in he's not in there. And then, really, the pa- this pandemic, um, man. There have been a lot of uh, people taking their own life. People affiliated or associated with our church somewhat loosely, somewhat more familiarly. But, man, people, we've, uh, J- Pastor James did a, a funeral of a suicide. I did a funeral of a suicide. And so to say that the pandemic has brought out, like, the most pain, the most hurt, the most woundedness, it, there's this deep, deep, deep core thing in every single one of us that says there's got to be something more than this. You've probably said that at work. You may have said that in your marriage. You may have said that uh, in whatever the place where you hit a bottom spot and you're just like, there's got to be something more. And I want to give you good news. There is. And we're going to talk about what God's word has to say, and then we're going to look at some stories about it. But I feel like what happens 
we resist having a proper view of death because we have the wrong view of eternity. And we resist having a proper view of eternity because we think death is losing. And we're, America's made of winners. Did you guys know that? America. We win. All right? We are here to win, and we are here to win every time. All right? And so whenever you talk about death, we go, we don't lose here. And if we do, we cover it up so it makes it look like we won. Right? We don't, like, if, it's just like if, if the game is over and your team is behind, you, no, it's not that we lost. It's just we ran out of time, and there was, we were about to come back and win. We view death as losing. And the same thing happens with us when it comes to death, even though everybody is terminal. Did you guys know that? You're terminal? It's just it's just a matter of time. There's nobody you know that's 150. You might know a couple people that make it past you know, triple digits, and you're like, way to go. Their quality of life might not exactly be stellar, but they're there. And I think what's sort of sad about this fact is we spend more time praying sick people out of heaven than we spend praying healthy people out of hell. Is this true? Do you spend more time praying sick people out of heaven than healthy people out of hell? And I wonder, the, re- the reason why we do that is because, let's just be real, we don't know many people that aren't going to heaven, or we don't see them. Do you know what I mean by you don't see them? It's kind of like, you know you have the, the, the couch that's just like, you know, it needs to go. <laughs> But, but you've gotten so beyond the couch that you can't even see it anymore. You just see it's just, it's a part of the wall. It's a part of the furniture. And new people, when you, you only see it when new people come over to your house. You're like, yeah, I've been really mean to get rid of that couch. But it just is there. And so that's what happens. Like when your pastor shows up with you to work or when Jesus shows up with you to work. And maybe you go, oh my gosh, look at all these lost people. Who knew they were here? I've been meaning to tell them about Jesus, but I got my own issues. Okay? And so we don't think about death because death is losing. And you know, who has time to think about those things? Or how about this? We, we resist having a proper view of eternity because we think only of gaining more in this life. You, you've heard the famous quote, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I think we live in a world where we're looking to achieve. And it's not necessarily that you want the stuff. You know, money is just a scoreboard for you. That tells you how you're doing, how you're measuring up in accordance to whatever... At least you could just you know, surround yourself with people who make less than you, and you were always winning. <laughs> and so what happens, we only think more of gaining more in this life. Okay, or how about this? We, we resist a proper view of eternity because we think how we live now does not affect our eternity. And so I really want us to get a proper perspective on the grand narrative that you are living just a small portion of your life right now in this body, and it's going to be a shadow of what's real and what's actual. So um, my heart for us this morning is that we would get into God's word, we'd see what he had to say, and then we'd proclaim it and, you know, from the rooftops as we leave here. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. So if there should be a Bible in your general vicinity, if you don't have a Bible at all, this is our gift to you. If you have your phone, pull out your phone, type in Matthew 16. We're going to be starting roughly at verse 21, and that's where you can kind of go to. And before uh, we open up and proclaim God's word, would you guys mind praying with me to uh, bless the reading and proclamation of his word? 
Father, thank you. Uh, we worship you, and we're excited to hear what you have to say about the great perspective of eternity. God, um, all the time we're reminded to be younger, to avoid death, to not think about such things. Because anytime you think about such things, you're directed to think about eternity. And so, God, I pray and I ask and I beg that you would speak really loud and really clear about who um, you are. And that when, as we read your word, uh, we would see your goodness, but we'd see your glory. And we would just want more of that, Jesus. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, here we go. All right, so um, we're going to be in Matthew 16. And the por- portion right before we roll into verse 21 is uh, the disciples and Jesus are hanging out at Caesarea Philippi. All right, so I know everyone has probably in your phone save where Caesarea Philippi is in your maps. But if you don't, it's, if you know where the Sea of Galilee is, which is way north of Jerusalem, you go a little bit north of that and uh, n- near Dan, which, you know, you've all been to Dan. Uh, it's in Israel. And there's this town called Caesarea Philippi. But the thing that makes Caesarea Philippi really sort of famous, it's this massive cave, a.k.a. the gates of hell. All right, that, it just, anytime you call a cave the gates of hell, automatically a place that you need to go check out. And what you would have, it was so deep, right, they, they could never measure how deep it went. And this cave had the beginnings of the Jordan River, okay, it's just, you know, my history geography buffs, you're like, wow, fun fact, okay. And so what you do is you, they would, you know, take, how many farthings is it down there? Many farthings, okay, and they never found how deep it was. Now, this cave uh, was also was a place of worship, okay, uh, for the fertility god Pan. Uh, okay, do you guys remember, um, whenever I think about Pan, this is, I, I got in trouble for thinking this way first service, so I'll, I'll try way better to not be out of control, but I just couldn't help think of this. Do you remember um, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Tumnus? Okay, you, you guys with me? All right, that's who Pan is. All right, free? Okay, you guys got that? So the guy with the goat legs and like a half human. So that's who Pan is, and he is the fertility like God. And so what Pan would do, he would live in his cave during the winter months with all of the other fertility deities like Baal and everybody else. And then to get Pan to come out of his cave, you would do things in front of the cave um, worship rituals, uh, sometimes with goats and sometimes with people out in front here, and that's what would get the fertility God to come out, all right? So don't let that resonate in your head too much, but that's what they were doing. And so Jesus and the disciples are hanging out at the gates of hell here. And then Jesus looks around at his disciples. And there's this moment where you just, I, I can't imagine what's going on over, you know, he's like, hey, turn your backs that way, guys. Uh, eyes here, eyes here. Who do the people say that I am? And, you know, they start, you know, they're like, oh, man, this is a, this is a quiz. All right, Jesus quiz. All right. Uh, okay, well, I've heard some people. I'm culturally relevant. I've heard the people say that you're Elijah, you know, like, because you can do miracles and stuff. Other people are like, no, no, you're like John the Baptist because you're like calling people to repent. And so they're all given, you know, or you're, no, no, you're one of the prophets of old. And then 
Jesus, you know, he kind of is like, okay, okay. But who do you say that I am? And I can just imagine Jesus kind of putting his finger in their bony chests. Who do you say that I am? And, G- and this is the part where Peter, you know, God loved Peter. He gets it wrong a lot, but man, he nails this one. He's like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which is kind of awesome, to which uh, Jesus goes, whoa, Peter, way to go. That's right. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar just means son. Son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, you got a direct line to God. Congratulations. And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he kind of leans over and kind of notices the gates of hell, and he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. To which everyone's like, mm. this is a solid moment for the disciples. Okay, and then he said, listen, I'm going to give you guys the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and we could debate all day what that means. And then... He does this weird moment where he's like, hey, guys, don't tell anybody I just told you that. Keep that to yourselves until the right time. To which everyone's like, all right, got it. We're on the inner circle. Win. Okay, that's where we're picking up. Here it is, Matthew 16, verse 21. Here it is. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. To which, everyone's like, aren't you like the Messiah? You can't kill the Messiah. Nobody kills Superman. And be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And And we're about to hear from Peter, and I wonder if like this part, Peter cut him off before he finished his sentence. Do you guys know that the people who are ready to answer and kind of give you some, you know, motivational pep talk before you even finish your sentence? Anybody else been cut off in a conversation? By your spouse? Anybody else have that? Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, here it is. <laughs> this is that moment, right? And be killed, and on the third day, be raised. And so Peter jumps in, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Come here, Jesus, 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 come here. <laughs> That's cute. Hey, you guys, I got this. Uh, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And I wonder, I wonder if right here, like, as he's, this shall never happen, it, was he talking about the being killed part? Because he didn't even let him get out the last part of his sentence, be raised on the third day part. Like, why do we have to talk about death? We don't, Jesus, <laughs> death is for losers. We are not going to lose. So, here's, we just need to turn this thing around, Jesus. Turn that frown upside down. It's going to be okay. I'm your man, Peter. Listen, you did the thing with the fish. I'm following you. I'm your guy. We can do a couple more of those things. No death. We can keep feeding people for years. And then Jesus, <laughs> who just called him the guy that heard from God directly, he has a bad moment, Peter does. And he turned, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. All right, he just had gotten the keys of the kingdom. And give me those keys. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> now, 
that's like low. Like he just went from like, God, you have a direct line to God to you're like, you are pretty much the enemy. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is where Peter's heart was. And then he's going to kind of, so, you know, he's, Peter took him aside. He rebukes Peter. And then he gets the disciples together again for another re-lesson. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which is just like, Jesus, didn't you also say a couple chapters before chapter 11, I believe it was, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This doesn't sound like restful. Carrying crosses, they're heavy. And then he says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for my sake, will find it. This is huge. So so here it is. I, I want you to, Peter believed death is losing. Jesus knew death is gaining. Now, how do we know? <sighs> last, last year, no, gosh, two years. You remember how the COVID years are kind of like a blip in your brain? You don't even remember what time was. It's like, it was like three minutes ago. No, that was actually two and a half years ago. Uh, we were preparing for this sermon series two and a half years ago. I had the entire staff read a book by John Burke called Imagine Heaven, all right? And it had all these stories about people who had near-death experiences and, to, and which validated the scripture when you're like, what's a near-death experience? Okay, so near-death experience is like when you not only flatline heartbeat, but you flatline an EEG. In other words, where there's no recorded brain activity. There, and in other words, there's no chance that electrical, electrical activity in the lower parts of the brain could ever account for a highly lucid order experience as described by near-death experience. So people would have this experience literally with heaven or hell. They're both. Heaven and hell experiences. And they'd be highly lucid, highly ordered, and they remember like everything. And so after reading that, I was just so blown away. I was like, how could I share this with our church? Because I feel like there's a lot of people, and if we're honest, there's a lot of people that deal with a lot of anxiety. I mean, crippling anxiety. And it might look like you've got it together on the outside, but on the inside, you are thinking about you're going to die all the time. Like all the time. You're like, it's over. Today's it. Um, and so that, and sometimes you can't get out of bed. Uh, sometimes you can't have a functional relationship because you, you're constantly canceling. You're like that person. It's like, oh, I'd love to. And then day, minute of, like, no, nah, I can't. Uh, and then you make up a weird excuse. And everyone's like, that's weird. Oh, the, the anxiety's kicking again. She's, she's got a headache. Okay. And so all of a sudden you've got like a lot of issues that come up because of this. And so I want to free a lot of us from that anxiety, okay? So if that's you, this is for free. And I want you to enjoy this experience because God has something great for you. And I wanted to introduce you to a couple stories that sort of valid. It's not proof of diddly squat, but it's, it's evidence that there is something more. Because I think a lot of us, we're like, yay, Jesus, but we live as Christian atheists in our lives. We don't, we don't talk, we're not living for the goodness of God and the land of the living. We're just, we're just kind of gripping the ship being like, 
Hang on, everybody. Hell's to come. You know, you're like, ah. And then if, if you die, you're like, I don't know what's out there. I don't even want to know. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to brace myself for today. And my hope is after seeing some of the evidence, it might encourage you that the, what God says in his word is true. All right, so we're going to watch a quick story from um, a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon. And whenever you, whenever you hear a near-death experience, I'm always a little skeptical because I'm thinking, this person wanted to write a book and then like get famous and then you know go on tour. But th- most of the people you're going to see are like not famous. They're just people who had normal lives and someone interviewed them and they already had like an orthopedic surgeon. Not really hurting probably for some money. Right? They probably have a house here and one in the Hamptons. Okay, so like that's what I wanted you to see. So we're going to look at this doctor who had an experience that's unexplainable. And the boat and I were immediately and completely submerged under about eight or ten feet of water. I knew that I had been underwater already too long to still be alive. Then I felt my body break free from the boat, and it's as though I sort of shook off my shell of a body and my spirit rose up and out of the river. I saw my body being pulled ashore. I saw the guys start CPR, and I could look at my body and recognize that that was my body, that that represented my life here. And at that point, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. I was immediately greeted by a group of people, spirits, beings. They were absolutely exploding with a pure love. And I knew without any doubt that I had known them and loved them as long as I've existed. And then I was immediately and very physically held by Christ and reassured that everything would be fine. It was as though his hair, his eyes, his skin were all the colors simultaneously. My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And Jesus was showing me this and saying, look at how that event impacted this person that impacted that person that impacted that person. And then we started down this exceptionally beautiful path to this great domed structure of sorts that I knew without doubt was the point of no return. I could have stayed there forever. But as we were going down the pathway, I was still able to hear the guys on the riverbank and see them. And one of the guys who at the time was only 18, he kept calling to me to come back and take a breath. When I came back, I spent many, many months trying to find an alternative explanation for my experience. After going through every bit of research I could come up with, having looked at my medical records, corroborated as many details as I could about the scene at the river, I ultimately concluded that my experience was outside the realm of science and outside the realm of medicine. crazy she spent 30 minutes underwater and then they and then she was there to kind of get to watch the whole thing uh watch the guys resuscitate her and uh there are several doctors have done research because they're like they they you know some guy he says hey i i I literally saw my you operating on me here's what happened i'm like okay all right guy and then they start interviewing person after person you know the the scientific method is hypothesis, and then you've got to do observation, and then you compare, right? So if to hear one story, you're like, nah. But if you hear, if you look at 4,500 stories, then, now it's 
observable, repeatable, and you can kind of see it in each one. And here's what, after, after one doctor, Dr. Jeff Long, wrote a book, and in this book, he kind of took, here's three primary things that people, um, these 4,500 people all had in common. They described things that actually happened in their surroundings. Like one guy, uh, uh, his name was Pete. He had a, a cardiac arrest, and as they're operating him in, he's under, you know, like he's not conscious. They're operating, they're doing stuff. And the, the doctor taped him, and he described every person what they were doing because his memory was like super keen, and he could see everything. In fact, he's like, and then one doctor walked in, and he didn't have scuffs on his shoes. So, you know, you need to do whatever you reprimand that guy for. And like he went through the entire operation, and the doctor said, I could have used that as a tape to how you respond to cardiac cardiac arrest. I could have taught my medical students from that. And then also, uh, the, the, all their stories are remarkably consistent in what happens. It goes separation from their bodies, a heightened senses, so you feel more alive than you've ever felt ever. Uh, then you pass through some sort of tunnel or some sort of rising kind of experience, a brilliant light described as a person. Uh, then there's meeting others. Then there's a life review where, like, where you kind of, you know, here's all the good, here's all the bad. And then a return to their own body. Okay, so that all of the world. So Hindus had this experience, and they talked about some, some guy in a white robe with a big book. That's what they, they remember. There are those that had, they didn't see that. It wasn't like all happy and joyful. It was hellish in experience. And but what was odd is that uh, a lot of these people, there were even blind people that experienced the near-death experience, and uh, they were able to recount the same things even though they had been born blind. A woman named Vicky, born blind, uh, had a life review in which she uh, went through and saw her two childhood friends, and she was able to describe in detail what they looked like, color of hair, color of eyes, how tall, freckles, all that kind of stuff, even without ever physically ever seeing him. In fact, that same Vicky, like, and the thing, whenever you, she's like, okay, that's a nice Chris, but is it, is it corroborating with the Bible? Because I don't really want to hear about near-death experience if it doesn't line up with the Bible. And I agree. I don't want to hear about any near-death experience if it doesn't line up with God's word. Because who cares? It's just someone having a dream. Unless it just so happens that everything they say lines up with God's word. Look, watch this. There was a, uh, so Vicki, she flatlined after a bad car accident. She found herself coming out of a tunnel onto grass, seeing trees and flowers, a vast number of people surrounding her in this place of tremendous light. And, um, and Vicky said, the light was something you could feel as well as see. And everybody there was made of light. She was made of light. The light conveyed was love, and the love was everywhere. It was love came from the grass, love came from the birds, love came from the trees. So light was everywhere, and she was light. That was such an interesting thing to say. And then I was like, does that sort of stuff line up with Scripture? Here's from Daniel, chapter 12, Old Testament. Multitudes who sleep in the dust, the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Which you're like, okay, Old Testament. Maybe that was just a one-off weird one. How about some New Testament? Here's Jesus. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Or how about uh, in the Apostle John writing? This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. How about John 8, 12? I'm the light of the world, Jesus said. 
And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know how many times, I, you, whenever I've said, you know, we're going to push back darkness, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking figuratively. I'm like, you know, we're going to be distinct from the world. People will look at us and see the goodness of God in the land of living. But perhaps the Bible is really to be taken literally. Like, there's a literal, literal way to take the Bible. No, you're literally light. And this in, on earth is a shadow of the foretaste of that is to come, that we will be light. And what a, biz- I mean, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And so I feel like this all fits into what Jesus was trying to say. Whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake will find real life, to which, whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't Jesus talking about, like, giving up your life for persecution? You know, like, you're about to die. Yes, but if you die in Jesus' name or under Jesus, then any of you aren't persecuted, you're going to experience paradise. Remember, remember the thief on the cross? Remember him? Like, he didn't have a chance to go shine like the, shine into the darkness, right? He's like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> doesn't look good for me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus is like, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so here it is. There's this reality. I think we resist this because I don't, because we haven't seen it. We want, listen, Chris, if I could just get a glance into that other, well, here are people that are getting a glance and they're telling you about it. I don't necessarily think you need to go through a car accident to just kind of like, I'll just take it on your word. <laughs> I think we resist this a lot because all, we focus on this life on what we can see. We live by sight and not by faith. In fact, Jesus knew we'd have this tendency, and this is why in that back to Matthew 16, he goes, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Because <laughs> I think what happens is I, listen, um, in exchange for my soul, I want pride. I want to just know I'm a little bit better than everybody else for the, my whole life. Or I want control. I just want people to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I want them to kind of understand and see my perspective on things. And listen, I don't care what I have to give up for that, including my soul. Listen, I want people to like me. And I don't care what I have to give up. Like me, like me, like me. Or maybe it's just comfort. I just, listen, I don't want much. I just want my house, and I just want the security blanket of, like, the money and the things that are all there. I want something that's going to give me comfort. Okay. And to which you're like, Chris, I mean, like, doesn't everybody struggle with it? Yes. Yes, we do. Even, because here's, this is us. Man has a tendency to forfeit the soul to gain the whole world. Okay. And listen, this isn't just like us because we're just like carnal American Christians. We're talking Peter. Peter had this issue. Remember Peter, the guy that Jesus also called Satan. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I can see that. So Peter, you know, when he, the, the Last Supper, Jesus, they're all hanging out. And, and, and Peter's like, listen, I know. She's like, when are you guys going to betray me? And Peter's like, listen, I know the rest of these twits. They are going to probably betray you, but not me. I will go to the mat for you, Jesus. To which Jesus like, okay, Peter. Before the rooster crows, in less than essentially 12 hours, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, <laughs> no. 
ain't nothing going to get me to deny you. Okay, so then Last Supper happens. They go to the, the garden, the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus prays. Uh, hey, guys, can you not pray with me? And he's going to get sleepy. He falls asleep. Jesus is praying. All of a sudden, the temple guard shows up, and all of a sudden, they're like, what's going on? Peter's ready, pulls out the sword, chops off an ear. He did his job. He's just bad aim. Anyway, he's ready to go. And Jesus takes the ear, glues it back on, and then we're moving forward. Peter, or Jesus gets arrested. Peter runs around, sort of falls at a distance, shows up at the trial in the middle of the night. He's kind of warming his hands by the fire, watching Jesus get in the third degree. And he likes to keep just a healthy distance so he can see what's going on with Jesus, but not really, you know, get the heat. And eventually, you know, as he's sort of watching the whole thing unfold, some dude goes like, hey, <clears throat> aren't you with the Jesus guy? I think I saw you, uh, you know, wielding a sword. You're the guy with the bad aim. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. I just look like, I have one of those faces. That wasn't me. I don't know the man. And then, like, a middle schooler girl, a middle school girl walks up. She's, like, serving water. And, like, you know, you guys need anything? Oh, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, listen up, middle school girl. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, I don't know the man. He's, like, nervous in front of this middle schooler, like, you know, as people get. And then, eventually, some dude goes, yo, like, it's clear you ain't from around here. That accent gives you away. And so, all of a sudden, Peter's like, he invokes a curse on himself, literally curses himself, forfeits his soul in a sense to gain a little bit more world because he knows that to, you know, to, to be identified with Jesus means you get put in Jesus' spot and there's a cross with his name that's about to be put on it. And so he forfeits the soul to gain the world. And thankfully, Jesus knew that he would do that. And he actually prayed to God, say, hey, God, I know that, you know, <clears throat> after Peter f- falls, uh, Satan's asking him to sift him like wheat, but I pray that you would restore him. And ultimately, Peter was. But why, why is there this resistance to death? And I think part of it is innate. Here's what I think about part of this. We were never meant to die. Did you know that? We were were never meant to die. Our death, or the fact that we're going to die, was not how God created human beings. Death was a consequence of sin. On the day you shall eat of it, you will, dying you shall die, is what God said uh, to Adam. And he's like, got it, Roger. And then all of a sudden in the garden with his wife, they're looking at the the fruit, and they're like, mmm, that's some good fruit. It looks good, tastes good, able to make one wise, be like God. I'm in. And they rejected God. And you and I have all inherited that tendency in us to forfeit the soul to gain the world. And that's why we love Peter. And that's why we love Jesus. Because Jesus ultimately does something about it. But what, what's, what's cool about Jesus is he doesn't just, um, I, I feel like sometimes there's a tendency to look at Jesus like, yeah, you know, once you, he doesn't, you know, it's sin, whatever, he doesn't care. No, no, Jesus cares about sin. In fact, what, look at this next verse. Like, he really cares about your sin. 
For the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay. Jesus will repay each person according to what he has done. He will repay. To which you're like, that's kind of, that doesn't sound so like gentle and mild. That sounds pretty like he's going to bring some wrath. So look at this. Jesus will repay in eternity according to what each has done in life. Which is, this is where I thought this was sort of interesting. Do you remember in Dr. Neal's video where she talked about the life review? Almost every uh, near-death experience person talks about sitting down and going through a life review. Because here's what, Jesus is a just judge. He shows you the evidence. Then he prosecutes. And do you have righteousness to free you from the depth and the claim of your darkness? And here's the reality of what we're dealing with is like, you know, we're like, I'm... I have at least about 51% of my good. You know, I'm, I'm not that. I'm, listen, there's some bad people here, and I'm not like one of those. No, no, here's what Jesus said about that. He said, that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. So he elevates sin, that it's that bad. He said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, nah, you've committed adultery. And you're like, I'm not like one of those. No, you actually are. And so there's going to be this point at which he's going to repay you according to what you have done. So how is Jesus going to do that? And that's why I feel like the life review really, really leads us to look at our lives. And so as you watch this next video, I want you to think about what would happen if you were sitting in the seat of this Austinite who shared this story. In 1997, my wife and I met in a drug rehab. I tell people I was bad and she was bad and together we became worse. When we got out of rehab, we went back to our mess. And as we went back, I have an overdose. The ambulance comes, they pick me up, and all I remember is that they're loading me up into the back of the ambulance. And I hear this voice that says, just give up. You know, you don't have anything to live for, just die. And as I give up, all of a sudden, I find myself that I'm no longer high. And I start racing down this black tunnel, an endless free falling. It felt like being cast out into outer space. That's when I realized I died. And so as I'm going down, the next thing that comes to my head is, oh my God, I I died and I'm going to hell. I'm making all these justifications why I don't deserve hell. It seems like it starts going faster and faster. When I realize that there's nothing I can do to turn it around, I get to this place of desperation where I cry out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes down and I feel the presence of God, there was a sense of peace that came down right beside me. It's almost like he interrupted the process of me going to hell. It's just me and God now having a conversation. And he says, Paul, what have you done with the life that I've given to you? And so as I'm thinking, what's the right answer? And it was right then and there, God and I began to look at my life. My life flashes in front of me as big as the sky. And everything I had did in secret and open, good or bad, was flashing right before me. It was at that point that I realized that I didn't have any relationship with God. What a sinful man that I was. I said, God, um, I don't even want to come back. Matter of fact, if you want to send me to, um, to hell, it's okay. 
but I don't want anybody to come to this place. This place is not for people. If my life is the sacrifice so that nobody comes, then then just let me come back and tell the world. That's all. It was then that when I made that decision and told God, just give me one more chance. Let me come back. Bam, I wake up and I'm in the hospital with the IVs. I said, from this point forward, I said, I'm going to serve him. So uh, Paul Ojeda uh, took that experience and he really meant it. He's now a pastor now in South Austin uh, at the powerhouse. And so he is full-time pastoring, full-time ministering the Word of God, taking what he experienced and saying, look at what God has done. And he, that life review was chilling because when he thought about that Jesus would repay him according to what he has done, he was like, oh, man, if I get what I deserve, things are not going to be pretty. In fact, uh, one of the... Remember, questions, send a text. Uh, I got a first service, somebody sent in a text, and this is what they said, why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel guilty? Well, if you were to think about your life, would you be guilty? If you were to think about all the, all the weight of the people in your past, who, the, the times that you didn't come through, the times that you sort of like cheated a little bit here, or you just angled it to look a little bit better. And if you had the means, and if you knew you wouldn't get caught, if you don't know Jesus, then guilt's probably the right feeling. But Jesus came. And he died on that cross. For your guilt, and your shame, and your pain, and the darkness of your heart, he died on the cross for you. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 21, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. And so there's this great exchange. Your sinfulness, your darkness, and he gives you his righteousness. And here's what's hard about that. There's a lot of you think, I'm not that bad. I don't got that much to give. You are the very person that is on the very edge of hell. Because you don't wrap your head around the fact that you are dark and twisted from the get-go. And that even at your best day, you're doing it out of the pride, out of the, your control, out of your desire for approval, or even just for a little bit more comfort. People got to like me. I'm going to do good things so they'll like me because my God is people. And so what I want you to see is that there's this God who's got this infinite love and is made of light and wants to love you so deeply and to cover over your sin with his righteousness. And so the question that I have for you is how will you view death? That's the question. And before we, we, we're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper today, and before you come up here, I want you to wrestle with this question. If you were going through the life review, what would that look like for you? You see, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Your soul is meant to feed on Jesus like your body feeds on bread. That same night, Jesus took the cup, wood for wine, glass for grape juice, 
couple people started drinking from the actual cup. Don't do that. Uh, we dip it in the cup. Okay, just that's for free. Had a couple swigs last service. <laughs> so Jesus, when he is give, he's hanging out with his disciples, he goes, listen, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this remembrances. When you come here, you're bringing your sin. You're, you're, it's reminding you of a time that I need to confess my sins to God. So if there's a part of you that's been living like a Christian atheist, or there's a part of you that's living like an atheist because you are, or an agnostic, or a person that's living like I don't have a relationship with God because you don't, this is a time to say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And maybe that's for the first time that you take communion. And we're so excited for you to do that. Because we would love for you to come from life to death. And experience taking part of the brotherhood, of the sisterhood, of being in the family of God. But if you've been a believer for a while, take a deep breath. Sit there. Confess sin to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin. How great is that? And then you come and you take part of the Lord's Supper with us because he commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. So as you're wrestling with this this morning, how will you view death? Is it losing? Is it something to just sort of look as like the end goal and we're going to get as much stuff as we possibly can before we die? Or is it something just to not even put on the radar? And so it doesn't affect me and I'm not going to live however I want when I want
you to imagine just for a second what would happen if we didn't look at death as losing but the ultimate gain. If we didn't look at this life as an opportunity to get all that we can as some like personal scorecard to see kind of how we're doing in comparison to everybody else. Imagine if Everybody else would go and be a light that pushes back against the darkness.